0: Hello, chefs. This is Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about, don't forget, this is still a business. Stay tuned. Before we get started, brief update. If you want to support the show, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. If you're listening on Spotify, make sure you subscribe, you leave five stars, nothing less than five stars. Why, why would you leave anything less than five stars? It's a five-star podcast. So make sure if you haven't left your five stars, do that now. If you like what I do and you want to support the best thing you could do, because I understand it's not a something for nothing. So I create, I write books, I create podcasts for you. So go to chefspsa.com. You can get all the books there, there's some that are free and there's some that are not free. Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, Kitchen Art of War, Bad Sue, Good Chef, Line Cook Survival Manual are all available on audio, paperback, and ebook, as well as English, Spanish, and Italian. And then I have several free ebooks that you could get, including The 50 Most Important Chef's PSAs, which is my newest release. It's also available as an audiobook download. You could find all of that on chef'spsa.com. Plus, there's merch. You get this exclusive Chef's PSA podcast t-shirt. You can get this Happy Chef hat. Wait, this is a Jose hat. Shout out to Jose Restaurant in Dallas, Texas. And Anastasia, Chef AQ, shout out to you, sorry. Not the Happy Chef hats, the Jose hat. And as always, I appreciate all the support. It helps me bring you this podcast and keep giving you the information. I've been up to a lot lately, and unfortunately I've spread myself a little bit thin. So I'm trying to write a book. I'm building a platform. I'm working on another AI app for menu writing. And I'm going to be a guest on a few podcasts that are upcoming, getting those scheduled and recorded over the next couple of weeks. And we're quickly approaching the 100th episode of Chef's PSA, which I got to do something good for that. I haven't fully figured out what I'm going to do, but I can't do the same stuff for the 100th episode. So I'll have to do it big. Anyway, let's get into today's subject, which is don't forget this is still a business. I put up a Chef's PSA the other day, which kind of sparked the idea for this podcast. I put it up on Instagram and it said, Don't forget about the person that's eating the dish. Remember to cook for them. And it's something that I think as chefs we get wrapped up in. We end up making food for us. We end up making food to impress other chefs. We end up making food to satisfy our creativity. We want to express ourselves on the plate. We want to introduce new things to guests that are coming into the restaurant. And while there is nothing wrong with that, sometimes we forget about just creating delicious food that people want to eat. And if you follow Chef's PSA on Instagram, you'll know that not only do I put up the daily quote, but sometimes I put up little comics with it. And there was, one, there was a comic that I was pretty proud of. And it was a, a chef talking to some culinary students. And he said, you see kids, fuck those customers. I cook for me. And the reason I put that up is because that's the mentality that a lot of chefs and cooks go with when they're coming up with dishes for their restaurant. It's, it's not necessarily with the guest in mind. They think about what do I like? How am I going to express myself? This is my playground. I'm the chef. And I could tell you that sometimes that's the wrong approach. And why can I tell you that? Because I've done that before. I've been that chef that wanted to make it a playground before I ever cared about what the guest wanted to eat. It was more about satisfying myself, my need to be creative. I wanted to learn new things, so I wanted to experiment with new ingredients, new techniques. Some of the dishes that I created throughout my career were really bad. I've probably created... You know, 27 year career, let's just say thousands of dishes I've put up on a menu. And I would say I'm batting about 500. There was about 500 really bad ones on there and about 500 really good ones. But then the question comes up, have you ever been so caught up in the creative aspect of your job that you forgot about the customers, that you forgot about the business side of it? And what are the consequences of doing that? There's a certain aspect of creativity that's mature creativity, understanding where you're at, understanding the restaurant concept that you're cooking for and creating food for the audience in your restaurant. So these are the locals that come in. These are your customers, depending on where you're at. This is the local palate. This is cooking on brand to the restaurant that you're in. You're not going to cook Greek food in your Mexican restaurant. And sometimes we really go off the rails as chefs and we want to work with bubbles and spheres and alginates and melting salts. And we want to cure egg yolks and sous vide them and make a little egg yolk skin and put that on top of something. But like, you're supposed to be a taco shop. (laughs) No one wants egg yolk skin at the taco shop. And it's a chef's mistake to forget about the business side of it. Because at the end of the day, if you want to continue to cook this food, you have a responsibility. If you're the chef leading a kitchen and you've been hired to do a job, part of that job is to make sure you're responsible to the business. You're held accountable to it. An owner has trusted you with their business to create good food. They've put a lot of money into a restaurant. And for people that don't know, restaurants are not cheap. A lot of people think that, oh, I'm going to graduate culinary school and I'm going to open up a restaurant. And then you find out how much it costs to build a restaurant. And you're like, oh, do you have several million dollars ready to go? Oh, maybe you're not going to open up a restaurant right away. You don't have investors. Maybe you're not going to open up a restaurant. But someone has put up money somewhere to fund this project. And their whole thing is they want an ROI, return on investment. It's highly unlikely that they're just building a playground for chefs. So chefs coming in need to understand that while yes, creativity is important, you need to make sure that you have food that is competitive, that's on the cutting edge, that's delicious that's creative, that's gonna make the customers wanna return because they enjoy the experience, but it also has to make sense financially. Being a chef is not just cooking. It's about understanding the financial aspects. Do you understand the food cost, the labor cost, all the operating equipment and expenses? Are you able to make good decisions on menu pricing? Are you pricing yourself out of the market? Are you too high? Or are you too low? And I can tell you, in my personal experience, I've always wanted to be the top end, the most expensive, especially if I'm working in a higher end restaurant. And the reason that is, is there is a little bit of psychology behind being the most expensive or having a very expensive item on your restaurant menu. And that is when you go out to dinner and you want to do the flex, you're flexing how much money you have. And you look at the menu and you want to impress the table. You never say, give me the second most expensive wine on the list. Give me the fourth most expensive steak option. No, you want to flex. You can say, get me your most expensive wine, which might not even be that good. Give me the most expensive champagne. Give me the most expensive protein on the menu. I want to flex. And so if you're being good steward of the business, you want to give them an opportunity to flex and take their money. So have expensive items on the menu. There's that expression that a fool and their money are soon parted. Don't prevent a fool from parting from their money, especially in your business. Also, if you're running a restaurant, you need to have cost mitigation strategies. So what if food cost is too high? What if labor cost is too high? How do you prevent the ship from sinking? Again, you're the steward of the business you're held accountable to make sure that the business is running well. And you need to have strategies to save costs and you need to be able to implement them. And it's difficult. I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy because it is difficult when you solely focus on the cutting cost side, because the other side to the equation is the revenue generation side. You have to learn how to make money. So it's an attack from both sides. You're attacking the cost side and you're also attacking the revenue side. You got to think to yourself, how can I make more money in the restaurant and how can I minimize the amount of cost? Whether that's overtime, whether that's food cost, making sure employees are taking breaks, putting locks on the cooler, making sure you're not giving things away for free. And this is something I talk about is often people will just give stuff away for free for no reason. So a server, for example, is like, hey, they want avocado on their burger and they don't charge anything or we're gonna give them an extra piece of bacon and it's free. It's like, well, you wouldn't give someone a dollar for no reason if I came up to you and said, hey, can I get a burger and can you also give me a dollar? You'd say, no, that's crazy. But you give them that dollar with the free slice of bacon or the extra avocado that you charge nothing for. So make sure you're charging for everything. And there's subtle ways to do that as well. Maybe you're not going to charge them for the avocado, but if you're giving away free toppings on your burger, you might just raise the burger price knowing that you're doing that. So make sure you're accounting for everything financially. And like I said, attacking it from the cost side, attacking it from the revenue side. Don't leave any money on the table. Now I've been that chef of that high-end restaurant tasting menu style where food cost is really high. You know, you're running in your 38 to 40% food cost because you have to buy the expensive luxury ingredients, the A5, the caviar, the truffles, the uni, all those things that cost money to create this beautiful tasting menu. And then you're only doing like 15 to 20 covers and you have 10 cooks in the kitchen to pull it off. And eventually something has to give because ownership looks at it and say, hey, how are we going to make money on this? And I know a lot of chefs that have these very high-end restaurants that struggle financially. Not all of them do, because I know some chefs that run some very high-end restaurants that print money, but not every restaurant is the same. So understanding what type of restaurant you are is extremely important. So what are some skills that every chef should have? Well, one, before you go open up your own restaurant, you need to understand how to manage a restaurant first. So like I said, Don't go get a million dollar loan from the bank and find all these investors if you don't know what you're doing yet. You may know how to cook, but you might not know how to run a business. And one executive chef that I used to mentor, fantastic cook, one of the best cooks that I've ever worked with. Anything this chef would touch would be beautiful and delicious, but struggled as a chef to understand the bigger picture. And I would always tell them the difference between the chef de cuisine and the executive chef is the chef de cuisine could run the kitchen beautifully and make sure it's pumping out beautiful food. But the executive chef can run the restaurant beautifully and make sure it's successful and makes money. I think if you're going to be a good executive chef and you want to bring business to your restaurant, you have to understand how to manage costs. You have to understand the marketing aspect, how to gain attention for your restaurant, get eyeballs on it, how to go viral on social media for something that you're doing. You, you think about all these restaurant sensations, like when the Cronut came out with Dominique Ansel, and there was lines around the corner and to get one of his cronuts or those big milkshakes. I think it was Black Tap that was the first restaurant that came out with these super gaudy milkshakes that were over the top with like donuts on them and painting the glass with chocolate or some barbecue joints that have a line out the door. And when it's out, it's out. And it's a whole experience to wait outside to get the barbecue. You know, you don't think that's part of the marketing, understanding social media, how to create some food that's going to go viral, that's going to increase the amount of butts and seats is important. So it's not just about creating it. It's also about letting the world know that it exists. And I've been the chef of places where it's like, we're cooking really serious food, but I always say we got to have some sucker shit on there. Some examples of that sucker shit would be like, just put some tater tots with black truffles or put a big dollop of caviar at the table. Don't put it on in the kitchen, put it on at the table so that everyone gets out their phone when the caviar tin comes out. If you can shave the truffles table side so people are watching, if you could pour the sauce, if you could light it on fire, if you could crack the chocolate piñata, maybe not the chocolate piñata, but you get the point. Whatever you could do that would allow people to take out their phone and be advocates for you so that they are showing your food to other potential customers so that people want to go and they say, I want to crack the chocolate piñata, or I want that extra dollop of caviar, or I want that big gaudy ice cream sundae to come to my table where they're pouring the chocolate magic shell homemade at the table. That's what you want. So you have to understand the marketing aspect. And if you're paying attention to social media right now, you're seeing a lot of chefs are getting really good at marketing themselves in their restaurant. If you could think of Dauber's, someone that I admire, he does a great job on social media. He's always cooking these dishes and explaining them. And he closes out with that. Ooh, la la. I think it's pretty good because you remember it. Every time you hear that, you think of Dauber's, you see his food. You know his restaurant. And is it the best restaurant in the world? I don't know. I've never eaten there, but I'll tell you what, it's got my attention. And I'm sure it has the attention of many chefs also. And would you know about that restaurant had he not gone viral on social media and started showing his personality and cooking those dishes? I saw a video on Instagram recently where they were talking about the tiramisu drawer and how much business it brought to them simply by doing that one video. People line up now to get that tiramisu. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Oh, don't underplay how important marketing is for your restaurant and how much business it could generate. Don't forget it's still a business. On top of marketing, you need customer service. You need to make sure they have a great experience when they get there. You need to train your service team. The art of hospitality, which is a subject that I'm working on for a podcast right now. Make them feel welcome. Give them a space where they're going to enjoy the food. Make sure your servers are trained how to sell your food and tell that story. Food with a story tastes better. And you can get away with some mistakes if there's a story behind it. And as I always say, the reason for this podcast is to educate chefs and cooks, but there's other resources out there for leadership and management. I know there's a lot of free online courses, eCornell, I think Harvard offers free online courses. I offer a video course on culinary leadership fundamentals. There's podcasts out there. There's books, my book, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals as well as many others. But don't just look at culinary resources. If you're the type of person that likes to read, look at business resources, read business books, read entrepreneurial books, read leadership books, understand management. Because although culinary is a part of it, your food alone can only get you so far. Managing the business is the other aspect. One of the little cartoons I put up the other day was a conversation between two people, and said, what's more important? A good food cost or good food? And the person answered, a busy restaurant. Because as they say, sales forgives all sins. Food cost is important. Food quality is important. But if no one's showing up, neither of them matter. You want to make sure that you're generating sales. You're creating an environment where people want to go and you're able to take their money. When I was young in my career, I focused too much on plating and pretty food. And I had one dish that I created, and this was uh, almost 20 years ago, it had 20 touch points or 30 touch points on it. And I remember my boss coming up to me and was like, why is there so much on this plate? Now, I was an insecure cook back then. So I wanted to showcase all my tricks on one plate. Like, well, I could do a sphere here and I could do some foam there and I could put a gel there. And it was just busy and messy. I don't even know if it tasted good. It looked really pretty though. But I would need three cooks just to pick it up. And there was like 10 recipes that went into the one dish. It was a complicated dish. It wasn't smart, but it fed my ego. The crazy thing was, is that as I started to sell it in the restaurant, people didn't like it. They said it was weird. There was too much going on. It didn't make sense. Now, at that time, was I devastated and think that everyone was an idiot and they didn't get it? Yes. But in retrospect, they weren't the idiots. It was me. I was trying too much. Sometimes less is more on the plate. And in that particular chef job, I struggled because I was so focused on the quality of food that I let the management and the leadership and the business aspect suffer. I wanted to create great food by any means necessary. And while the food was good, I was constantly in the office having to explain why my food cost was up 5%, 10%, why my overtime was out of control, why I had so many unhappy cooks in the kitchen. And the reason was, is because I was creating dishes for me, for my ego and not for the business. I had one of my mentors come into the kitchen one day and see some of the food that I was creating. And they said, why don't you do something simple, like a green papaya salad with some shrimp. People love that. And I was like, nah, too simple. But to placate this person, I put it on the menu. Guess what happened? None of my creative fancy dishes sold, but that green papaya salad with shrimp, number one seller. Every single table got one. And I couldn't understand why. I was like, how do you want that boring papaya salad with like four things on it versus my creative 30 touch point dish? Like I said, I was the one that didn't get it. Sometimes it's the simplest things that do extremely well. As I reflect as a chef and I think about food that I crave now, I crave simple things like lobster bisque, you know, a good onion soup, a good steak, a roasted chicken, some nice roasted vegetables, a good curry, a really nice bowl of ramen. I never crave any of this complex stuff that I used to make. I actually crave the simple things that I used to make. Now that's me as a chef. Think about the customer who is not a chef. They just want something delicious. When it says Caesar salad on your menu and they've had a Caesar salad everywhere in the world, And they're excited to try yours. Then it comes out with crispy chipotles on it and cornbread and freeze-dried corn. They're like, what the fuck is this? I just wanted a Caesar salad. Again, think about your customer. You need to look at those business skills early on. So don't forget, if you solely focus on the culinary side, you're going to become a really good cook. Don't neglect the business side, because at one point, if your goal is to run the business, you have to understand that. Invest in that now. So what's my recommendation when creating menus? I've talked about this before. I use an 80-20 rule or a 70-30 rule when creating menus. So 70 to 80% of the menu is going to be items that I know will sell. They're familiar. People could wrap their head around them. 30 to 20% is going to be where I experiment. I'm going to try things out cringe techniques, creative things that I want to work on that I don't fully understand yet and maybe that the customers are not ready yet. Sometimes you have to introduce things with training wheels to get them ready for what's coming. Can you imagine if you brought René Redzepi to Idaho and opened up Noma in the, you know, in, a, in just a regular neighborhood and he's serving you ants on a shrimp and he's like, "No, people need to do this. This is great. This will be the number one restaurant in the world." And people in Idaho are like, "What is this? I don't want ants. I don't want What about shrimp has ants on it? Or maybe he's serving his you know, whale sperm emulsion. Like, Who wants that? Is it delicious? Does Rene Redzepi know better? Maybe. But why would he serve that in the middle of nowhere in a neighborhood? No, you got to have time and place and location. So some of these cookbooks and some of these Instagram sites are dangerous. You're going to put a reindeer peanut salad on the menu because it's in his new book. And then no one's ever going to come back to your restaurant because it's a diner and they just wanted good eggs and hash browns. So Anyway, creativity is sometimes a double-edged sword. Make sure you're taking care of the business first. Some subjects to deep dive into. Understand food cost. Understand how to control finances. I do a three-part series on food cost, but the formula, if you could save yourself the time and not listen to all three parts. Cost divided by sales equals percent. So that applies to food, labor, operating expenses but understand the finances, understand a marketing plan, understand and have a mitigation plan for costs, understand how to balance your menu, get feedback from your servers, express yourself creatively, but don't make your whole menu a creative expression. Have some dishes on there that you know will sell those things that people are going to keep coming back for. Have a few dishes that are going to be Instagram ready where everyone's going to take their phone out and you have the potential to go viral. Create a demand for your restaurant. And don't forget It's a two-part equation. It's not just cost. It's also sales. Attack it from both ends. And ultimately, be a good steward of the business. And if you're in one of those unicorn spots where you have complete autonomy, money's no object, and it's a playground, enjoy yourself and have fun because those don't come often and you're a unicorn. Anyway, if you want to support the show, you know what to do. Make sure you leave five stars. Nothing less than five stars. We already said that. Go to chefspsa.com. Get all the books all the merch get this chef's PSA show your support t-shirt we'll see you next week hit the porno music